So we are going to be taking some time to take a look at that reading from Acts chapter 5, but I think it's only right that before we dive into God's word, we take a few moments to allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message that he has for us. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together in this place, that we might learn together from your word. And Lord, we are mindful of the fact that generations have gone before us, brothers and sisters in faith who likewise have meditated on your scriptures and who handed down the good news to us. And so, Lord, as we reflect on the scriptures, we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us, that we may be people who boldly proclaim your name, who speak good news. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So growing up, I was a huge fan of superheroes. Huge fan of comics. In fact, uh, it was a rare week when I didn't at least get to the comic book store once uh, so that I could pick up the latest issue of, uh, of my favorite comic books. I mean, I was a big fan of X-Men and Spider-Man and Batman. Those were like my big three uh, as a kid. And it was, it was great because there were also animated series for all three of those things. So not only could I go to the comic book store and pick up my favorite issue, but then Saturday morning was just this this explosion of superhero awesomeness as I got to watch my favorite heroes on screen. And and even as an adult now, I love superheroes. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love, I think, one of the DC films. Sorry, DC, you guys got to get a little bit better and step up your game. But I mean, the, the truth is I love superheroes. I just, I always have. And, and as I've gotten older, though, I've, I've also started to really kind of fall in love with real life heroes, It was especially as I got into college and I started to read the biographies and some of the writings of people like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi or Archbishop Oscar Romero. And and what the reason these people and many others stood out to me is because these were people who were willing to speak truth when no one wanted to hear it. These were people who were willing to stand up for what was right, even despite incredible pressure to remain silent, especially from those in power. And I admired them because of the kind of bravery and courage that they had to stand up on behalf of those who were weaker, those who didn't have a voice, those who were overlooked. And I loved the stories of these heroes because I I, I would look at them and say, that's hopefully the kind of person that I can be. Someone who's willing to speak on behalf of those who have no voice. And I think that that's important. And the reason I'm bringing it up this morning is because as we move through our Speaking of Jesus series, this idea of bravery, this idea of courage is foundational for sharing our faith with others. It's foundational for sharing our faith with others. Because there has been a shift in our culture when it comes to talking about difficult topics, including spirituality and faith and religion. In fact, the Barna Research Group uh, did a longitudinal study just interviewing Christians, Christians about sharing their faith. And one of the things that they found that was really interesting was back in 1993, 86% 
of Christians. 86% of Christians disagreed with the following statement. The statement was, uh, converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church. 86% of Christians disagreed with that. 86% of Christians says, no, it's not the job of the local church to convert people to Christianity. And you want to know why? It's because 89% of them said, it's my job to help people come to faith in Jesus. It's not the job of the local church. It's my job. I understand that my job, my duty as a follower of Jesus is to share the good news of Christ with other people. Because the only way other people are going to come to faith is, is through a relationship with someone who cares about them and who can introduce them to Jesus and who can speak good news into their lives. And I understand that that's my responsibility. I can't just outsource that to the professionals. I can't just outsource that to the church. I'm the church. We're the church. We, as God's people, are called to share good news. But those numbers have shifted dramatically. Now, only 47% of Christians would say it's not the job of the local church to convert people to faith. Increasingly, 29% of Christians say, no, that's actually not my job. It is the local church's job uh, to convert people to Christianity. I'm just here to kind of like participate and enjoy worship and stuff like that. And 24% and say, I don't know whose job it is to share the good news with other people. <laughs> and likewise, what they found is it's only 64% of Christians would say, you know, it really is my, my calling. I, I, I know that I'm supposed to be the one sharing my faith, but that's, that's a very reluctant 64%. And as Barna started to dig a little bit deeper and, and really kind of mine these statistics, say, why are we seeing such a shift over these past several years in these major statistics and how people are answering these questions? What they found is that the greatest factor contributing to this shift is fear, specifically the fear of offense. That the reason more and more Christians are saying, you know, it's not really my job to talk about Jesus. It's not my job to share the good news. It's not my job to, to, to hopefully uh, talk with people and answer their questions and, and see if they're interested in coming to faith. The reason it's not my job is because I'm just afraid that, that it's not going to be received well. That somebody's going to be offended. So I'm just not going to do that anymore. What that tells me is that we as Christians are increasingly being affected by, by a culture which in general says that, that important topics, not just religion, but politics, your marriage, how you raise your kids are off limits for other people to talk about. We are becoming increasingly an isolated culture, an individualized culture, where we no longer have deep, meaningful relationships, relationships in which it's safe enough to ask hard questions. Relationships in which it's safe enough, uh, safe enough to probe and, and to talk about the things that we, maybe we disagree about and to consider maybe somebody else's perspective. We're losing that muscle as a society and the church is no different. And a lot of the reason why Christians aren't sharing today is because of fear. And so if we're going to be people who speak of Jesus, if we're going to be people who do talk about our faith, we have to be willing to address fear and to talk about the importance of bravery and courage when it comes to sharing our faith. And one of the things I think is interesting to know about bravery is bravery is not something that you can just conjure up within yourself. There are very, very few people who I would say are truly fearless. Almost everybody is afraid of something. But one of the things that's interesting about bravery is it's not something you can say, well, I just need to be more brave, and then you are. Bravery comes from a shift in your perspective. That the key to becoming courageous or to becoming brave is not simply to work yourself into it, but rather to shift what it is you're focusing on. 
And what we see in our passage from Acts chapter 5 is that the apostles, in the face of incredible odds, in the face of the kind of opposition that I don't think anybody in this room has seen, were able to be brave and to speak of the hope that they had, even in the face of intense physical threat to their own lives. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5, or you can queue it up on your phone uh, if you want to do that. We're taking a look at Acts chapter 5, where we find the apostles have actually been brought to trial. Okay? They were called, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish, the Jewish ruling council, had sent these men to jail and had now brought these men to, to, answer because, uh, to answer to the council because they had been preaching in the name of Jesus. And they were under incredible threats from this council. They'd already been warned that they could be jailed. They'd been warned that they could be beaten. They'd been warned that they could even be killed for continuing to do the ministry that they did. And yet, day after day, these men were sharing, these men and women were sharing their faith in Jesus. So why? What, what made the difference? I think there were three, three things about their perspective that we can learn. The first thing that we learn from this passage is that they had a greater hope. They had a greater hope. It was the greater hope that allowed them to speak of, the, of Jesus, to continue to do their ministry. Because I want to draw your attention to something that happened right before our passage for this morning was read. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12, this is what we read. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. See, there were lots of other people who were afraid, who weren't quite willing to join the apostles. But nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those who were tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. You see, part of the reason why the apostles were able to be brave in the midst of incredible odds is because they knew the hope that they had, and they were seeing the difference that that hope was making in the lives of other people. Because what we read in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12, wasn't a unique one-time thing. This was the life of the early church. You go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, and what do we see? We see the apostles are preaching the good news that we have in Jesus. People were being healed, and the believers were gathered together and had all things in common. And then you get to Acts chapter 4, and the apostles are preaching the good news, and people are being healed, and all the believers are gathered together, and they all have all things in common. You get to Acts chapter 5, same thing. Over and over and over again, they were seeing lives transformed by the hope that they had in Jesus. And that was so beautiful, so amazing, so captivating that they just couldn't stop. Even in the face of great threats. You see, this is, this is why it's so important to take a look at the statistics that we looked at earlier. You know, 64% of, of Christians, you know, no longer really feeling like it's their responsibility to, 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 to share. You know, we have these increasing numbers of Christians who are, who are wrestling with that, with sharing our faith. And I think the reason why is because we've lost sight of the hope that that brings into other people's lives. Because while it's becoming increasingly uh, unpopular in our society to talk about tough issues. At the same time, we are people who long for meaning. 
I mean, think about the statistic I shared all the way back at the beginning of this series. Over a third of American adults said they had a significant change in their life because someone was willing to talk to them about faith and life and spirituality, even just to talk about doubts. So while we are sitting here becoming more and more afraid, we're missing out on the hope and the possibility of transformation that can enter into a person's life when we're willing to talk about the hope that we have. You see, the apostles hadn't forgotten that. They longed for that. They looked into the lives of the people around them and they were constantly asking the question, how can we speak the hope of Jesus into this person's life today? They were willing to take risks, to to ask people tough questions, to really get to the bottom of their stories because their deepest desire was that that person would come to know the hope that we ourselves have because that's Jesus longing for them as well. And so when it comes to being brave, I think one of the first questions we have to ask ourselves is, do I long to bring hope into someone else's life? When we're paralyzed by fear, we're so worried about our own lives that we, that we lose sight of the hope that can come into the life of another. Second thing, though, that the apostles uh, had is they, they knew that they had a greater audience. They had a greater audience I mean, listen to what they say when they're finally brought before the council. The council says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. You see, they knew that they had a greater audience than just this ruling council. That ultimately their audience was God. And their desire was to please him first and foremost. And not to do it for their own benefit, but rather to do it for the benefit of others around them. I mean, listen to what they say as they go on. They say, look, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on the cross. But God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Saying, look, we we want to please God. Why? Because we know that God's heart is that people would be forgiven and have new life. And so we're not really worried about the opinion of the ruling council over there. We're not really worried about public opinion. What we are worried about is is celebrating the fact that God is at work and we want to join him in the work he's doing of bringing people to forgiveness and to new life and to that hope that we just talked about. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, is whose opinion matters more, God's or people's? Are we more concerned about pleasing others? And looking good in other people's eyes? Or are we more concerned about joining Jesus in the work that he's doing? Of bringing people to life and faith? Because the reality is this, yes, some people are going to reject it. But others are going to accept it. Others, they're desperate for it and need to hear it. And if we're too worried about our public image in the eyes of the world, we're missing the amazing opportunity to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus in the lives of the people that he sent us to. The third shift that's so important uh, for understanding their perspective and and what we're called to is that they had a greater joy. They had a greater joy. We find this at the end of this particular passage. 
after the council spends some time deliberating, they decide not to kill these guys. Uh, but they do decide that they're going to warn them again, and then they beat them. Okay, and, and one of the things that's worth noting uh, in, in ancient times is when they're talking about a beating, they're not just talking about like a slap upside the head. They're talking about getting beaten with like sticks and potentially rocks and maybe even a couple of whips. I mean, a beating was no small thing. It was incredibly painful and it was done by the hands of usually a crowd, not one single individual. So these guys are beaten, but then listen to this. It says, the apostles then left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Rejoicing. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Even in the face of getting beaten by a crowd, they had joy. Why? Well, first and foremost, let's, let's note why it says that they have joy. It says because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. You see, they were aware, having been good students of the Old Testament scriptures, that oftentimes the people that God calls to serve him are the people who face some of the greatest opposition. They would have remembered the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would have remembered the lives of Moses. They would have remembered the lives of Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Prophet after prophet after prophet commissioned by God to bring good news into the world only to be rejected. And what they were saying is saying, I'm honored that God picked me, lowly though I am, to be a part of their company. What a great honor and a great privilege that is. To participate with God in the work that he's doing, even if it comes at the cost of my own life. There's no greater joy, no greater privilege. Their greatest, deepest desire was that when they stood before the throne of God, he would look down on them and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. That they would be able to, on that day, stand in the company of the saints and prophets who went before them and to be welcomed into the kingdom. To, on that day, as they stood before the throne in heaven and stood shoulder to shoulder with the people who did receive their message. The people who were saved as a result of their faithfulness. Because that's the way God loves to do it. We've been talking about it throughout this whole series. Yes, God is the one who brings people to salvation, but his favorite way of doing it is through you. Through me, through us, by sending his people as his voice, as his hands, as his feet. They had a greater joy and the question, again, we have to ask ourselves is, am I focused on eternal joy or fleeting comfort? Because I think part of the reason why we don't even ask our friends what they believe is because, well, that might be a little uncomfortable. There might be some awkward shifting. And that's what we're worried about. And yet the invitation is, no, go there. Ask the question. Listen to their story. Share the hope that we have. Because when you're doing so, you're doing exactly what Jesus himself did. I mean, think about it for a second. If Jesus was worried about pleasing people rather than his Father in heaven, he would have never opened his mouth. Not once. If Jesus was more worried about his own comfort, he would have never gone to a cross. 
And if Jesus' only hope in life was that, you know, he would have a nice, comfortable existence and never have to get into, involved in the mess of other people's lives, he would have never healed a person, never forgiven anyone's sins, never would have cast out demons. Jesus' entire life was wrapped up in this hope, this joy, this living for his Father that just overflowed into everything. And why did he do it? For us. You know, I'm mindful of the fact that today is All Saints Day, when we give thanks to God for the lives of those who've gone before us. And the reason why we give thanks is because they, in their lives, through their words and actions, dared to pass on the hope that we have. They dared to share the good news, at times when I'm sure it was uncomfortable to do so. I'm thankful for the people who cared enough about me to challenge my preconceived notions a little bit. I'm grateful for Sandy Oppenheimer, who when she saw a kind of a punk kid in this like uh, little youth group who didn't really care about Jesus, challenged me enough to say, you know, you judge the Bible a lot, but have you ever actually read it? You're looking for meaning and purpose, and yet you're not giving Christianity a fair shot. Are you willing to take a closer look? I'm so grateful that she was willing to do that. And I'm sure every one of us can think of someone in our lives who spoke God's words of grace and truth to us. The reason they did it, the reason we're called to do it, is because that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus did. Think about these words from Hebrews chapter 12. Since therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart." It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. What joy? The joy of sitting down at his father's right hand? No, he already had that. He had that from before time began. What was the joy? To bring many sons and daughters to glory. The joy of seeing people healed. The joy of people seeing forgiven. The joy of seeing outcasts brought in. The joy of bringing new life into our dark world and providing us with hope. That was the reason he came for you and me. It was out of his love for us. Why would we do anything less? See, speaking of Jesus means that we look forward to that day when Christ comes again, but we don't just look forward to it for ourselves. We look forward to it in the lives of the people around us, and so we have the bravery and the boldness to ask questions, to listen to their stories, and when God gives us these opportunities to open our mouths and speak about the hope that we have. That's what it means to speak of Jesus. To have our eyes set on him who is the author and perfecter of our faith as we boldly go forth with good news that our world desperately needs to hear. It's in the name of Jesus who is our hope, our joy, the only audience that really counts. We say, may it be so. Amen.